Chapter 10 of A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Gali and Rodriguez Cermenho. Drake's voyage to the Pacific awakened Spain to a realization of the danger she ran of losing large portions of her empire. Never before had she encountered competition along the western shores of the Americas and her only thought there had been to extend her dominion in the direction of lands that promised quick returns and wealth. To be sure, Rodriguez Cabrillo and other leaders had sought the mysterious northern strait in order to forestall foreign occupation. But the principal idea during most of the first century after the discovery of America had been that of remunerative conquest rather than defense. The expedition of Drake may fairly be said to have caused a change in Spanish colonial policy and the introduction of a new spirit which was to be the dominant note for another two hundred years. Henceforth, Spain indeed sought rich lands, though more and more inclined to insist on proof before undergoing the expense of conquest. But fear of foreign danger began to take the principal place in her calculations for an extension of the sphere under her control expansion in order to ensure the safety of her already occupied dominions the policy of what may be termed aggressive defensive became the keynote in spain's activities along her colonial borders no region that she then possessed was so valuable to her as the kingdom of new spain and none of the mainland colonies was so exposed to european attack spain learned thus early in her career that the californias extending down through eight hundred miles of peninsula to cape san lucas constituted a grave danger if they should fall into the hands of an enemy for they lay conveniently near a great part of the west coast of new spain it was natural therefore that she should wish to occupy the californias even though the effort should occasion considerable expense and though the expected riches should not develop footnote it is to be regretted that no very thorough survey of the period embraced by this chapter and the three which follow it has yet been made from the standpoint of governmental materials. Wherefore, clear proofs of official intention are not always at hand. The events themselves are fairly well known, though even they come mainly through the reports of one element, the religious, but their setting in the larger sphere of spanish imperial design has still to be treated authoritatively by the historian in footnote allusion has already been made to the reports of the spanish ambassador in england about drake's project for a second voyage to the pacific what action the spanish government took has not yet been revealed but it is clear that the viceroys of this period displayed an unusually great interest in the Californias, with a view to making Spanish establishments there. This interest was heightened by rumors that Drake had discovered the strait and sailed through it. Indeed, the story of the pilot Morena, already referred to in Chapter 7, was current in New Spain for many years, being advanced at least as late as 1626. On top of all this came a report from Francisco de Galli, commander of the Manila Galleon in 1584, that he had encountered evidences of the strait in his voyage of that year. According to the account of this voyage by Fernandez de Navarrete, footnote, 
In 1802, in his introduction to the narrative of the voyage of the Sutil and Mexicana, which went north in 1792 to prove once and for all the truth or falsity of the reports about that strait. In footnote. Galley sailed 300 leagues east and northeast of Japan, quote, and found open sea with currents from the north and northwest which were not diverted by the wind, whatever its violence or direction, until, having sailed 700 leagues, he reached the coast of New Spain, where he no longer observed the currents or the depths of sea previously met with. This gave Galley the idea that the strait between Tartary, or northern Asia, and New Spain was in the region of the currents. He also encountered on all his 700-league voyage a great number of whales, tunnyfish, albacore, and bonitos, which are fish usually found in channels where there are currents. These circumstances confirmed him the more in his belief that the much-talked-of strait was in that vicinity. On this occasion, too, Gali passed along the Alta California coast. The narrative of the voyage, as translated in Bancroft, after telling what had happened in the earlier stages of its sailing, went on to say that, quote, Being by the same course upon the coast of New Spain under 37 degrees 30 minutes, we passed by a very high and fair land with many trees, wholly without snow, and four leagues from the land you find thereabouts many drifts of roots, leaves of trees, reeds, and other leaves like fig leaves, the like whereof we found in great abundance in the country of Japan, which they eat. And some of those that we found I caused to be sodden with flesh, and, being sodden, they eat like coal warts. There, likewise, we found great store of seals, whereby it is to be presumed, and certainly to be believed, that there are many rivers, bays, and havens along by those coasts to the haven of Acapulco. From thence we ran southeast, southeast and by south, and southeast and by east, as we found the wind, to the point called Cabo de San Lucas, which is the beginning of the land of California on the northwest side, lying under 22 degrees, being 500 leagues distant from Cape Mendocino. End quote. This account is an interesting indication that other Spanish ships had passed along Alta California coast as far north as Cape Mendocino between the time of Ferrello in 1543 and Gale in 1584, though no record has yet come down to us. Ferrello did not apply the name in 1543, and yet it is mentioned casually in 1584 by Gale, who did not see it on his voyage and who refers to it as one would to a place long since known and named. Of more immediate consequence, however, is the interest that the Viceroy of New Spain displayed in Galli's story. Galli himself was a man of more than ordinary attainments, and therefore his views were regarded as worthy of credence. The Archbishop Viceroy, Pedro de Moya, said of him, quote, that he was the best trained and most distinguished man in Mexico, and that in regard to cosmography and the art of navigation, he could compete with the most select minds of Spain. Gali was asked about the advisability of establishing a settlement in some California port, which might serve both as a way station for the galleon 
and as a base for obtaining further information of northern lands. There can be little doubt, too, that the element of foreign danger, of which Drake's voyage had been a forcible reminder, was influential in the Viceroy's plans. Moya wrote to the king, strongly urging the need of discovering and occupying a port on the Alta California coast, and intimated that he was about to send Galley again to the Philippines with orders to explore and make maps of the coasts of Japan, the islands of the Armenian, as the islands later styled Rico de Oro and Rico de Plata were sometimes called, and the Californias. It seems probable that the voyage was not made as no evidence of it has come to light. At any rate, Moya's successor, the Marques de Villamanrique, was clearly out of sympathy with the project. In May 1585, five months before he reached New Spain to take over the government of the Viceroyalty, Villamanrique expressed his opinion that, though no settlements had been made in the Californias, the ships from the Philippines had not suffered any inconvenience for the lack of them. He seems not to have considered the matter from the standpoint of foreign danger. Upon his arrival in New Spain, it is likely that the plan was dropped. If the new viceroy felt that there was no reason for anxiety over foreign incursions into the Pacific, he was soon rudely disillusioned. In 1586, Thomas Cavendish had set sail from England with three ships of respectively 120, 60, and 40 tons, and with 123 men. Entering the Pacific in 1587, he sailed north, ravaging the coasts of Peru and New Spain and capturing many ships. Learning that the galleon was soon expected, the richest prize of all, he betook himself with his two remaining ships to the Bay of San Bernabé at Cape San Lucas in the Californias. On November 4, 1587, the galleon of that year, the Santa Ana, a 700-ton ship laden with rich silks and other cargo, besides 122,000 pesos in gold, hove into sight. Cavendish gave battle and, after a desperate fight, took the prize. He thereupon transferred to his own ships what he wanted of her cargo, burned the galleon, and set sail for England. With one of his ships, he got across the Pacific and eventually around the world to England. The survivors of the Santa Ana found that enough remained of the hulk for them to make their way in it to Acapulco. Now, more than ever, it seemed clear that something must be done about occupying the Californias, for it was there that the foreign ships had the best opportunity to lie in wait for the galleon, which was such an important element in the economic life of New Spain. More than likely, the achievements of Drake and Cavendish would serve as an alluring inducement to others. The worst of it was that a mere handful of men seemed capable of upsetting Spain's security in the Pacific. Steps were taken, therefore, to discover a northern port along the California coast where the galleon might receive notice whether the seas were clear and perhaps the escort of a well-armed vessel. In 1591, Luis de Velasco, who had succeeded Villa Manrique as viceroy in 1590, wrote to the king that it was necessary to discover and survey the ports of the Californias if the Philippine ships were to be adequately protected. 
Orders were therefore sent from Spain in 1593 for such a survey to be made in the course of a voyage of the galleon. The difficulty was to find the money, since a careful exploration would entail considerable additional expense. It was arranged, however, with the consent of the government in Spain that a private individual should supply the funds, in return for which he was to receive concessions enabling him to make a profit on his venture. Accordingly, in 1594, Sebastián Rodríguez Cermenjo, a Portuguese, was selected to command the Manila ship. Footnote. The mother's name, Cermenjo, by which he is more often called, is usually written in the Spanish form as Cermenjo. Cermenjón and Cermenjo are also of occasional use. End of footnote. According to Velasco, he was, quote, a man of experience in his calling, one who can be depended upon, and who has means of his own, end quote. Apparently, he was well acquainted with the galleon route, for he seems to have been pilot of the ill-fated Santa Ana when Cavendish took it. Rodriguez was given permission to ship a number of tons of cloth at Manila on the galleon, thus receiving the benefit of the space and freight money. The wisdom of the decision to know and perhaps occupy the Californias seemed clear when news came to New Spain, late in 1594, that Richard Hawkins in an English ship had broken into the Pacific some time before and ravaged the South American coast, though he was captured by the Spaniards in the month of June, not far from Panama. On July 5, 1595, Rodriguez Cermenjo left Manila in the San Agustin for the voyage to the Californias and Acapulco, and on November 4th, first sighted the coast in about 42 degrees, according to his own account, but in fact farther south, probably a little north of Eureka, above 41 degrees. He now proceeded along the coast, taking soundings and looking for a suitable port, except at night when he deemed it wise to run to sea. On the 5th, he passed Cape Mendocino, that day and night he experienced a terrific storm which left the San Augustine in such bad shape that several of the officers petitioned him to veer away from the coast and head at once for Acapulco, giving up the plan for the discoveries. Rodriguez would not hear of it, however, and turned the vessel toward the shore. About noon of the same day, the sailors at the masthead caught sight of Drake's Bay behind Point Reyes, whereupon the ship was steered in that direction and came to anchor in the bay. Rodriguez named this port the Bay of San Francisco, although he and his men also called it Bahia Grande, or Great Bay. The narrative of Rodriguez's sojourn at Drake's Bay from November 6th to December 8th compares an interest with that of Drake, and indeed much more precise information was given about the country for some three or four leagues into the interior from the place where the Spaniards landed. The Indians were almost equally as friendly as in the time of Drake, and the country impressed the various witnesses who expressed themselves about it as very much like Castile. The Spanish accounts also tell of the great number of deer, which seemed to them of unusually large size, and partridges, probably the conies of Drake's narrative that they saw. 
Rodriguez's long stay was occasioned by his plan to explore the shore in a smaller vessel, which he built there, leaving the galleon to keep farther off the coast in the safer waters of the deep sea. In the light of what happened, it was fortunate that he had decided upon this course, for on November 30th, the San Agustin was driven on shore and wrecked. Only two men seemed to have met death but most of the cargo and all of the provisions were lost. It would be interesting to have more details of this disaster, but the narratives of the voyage which have thus far been found are singularly recitant on this score. The launch, or open sailboat, which they were building was nearly completed, so they were saved a delay in their departure which otherwise would have cost them their lives. It was pressingly urgent, however, that they should procure supplies, for there were seventy mouths to feed. Rodriguez therefore made two expeditions inland and obtained provisions from the Indians, mostly acorns, which, though bitter to the taste, kept them from starving. On one occasion, Rodriguez went to a village to recover some timbers which the natives had procured from the wreck of the ship. The Indians showed fight, sending a shower of arrows against the Spaniards which wounded one man. Then they fled, and Rodriguez and his men plundered the village, getting a great booty in acorns. Later, the Indians repented and made a gift of further supplies. On December 8, 1595, Rodriguez left Drake's Bay on the San Buenaventura, the launch he had constructed. Seventy men and a store of clothes and stuffs he saved from the galleon, to use in barter with the Indians, were crowded into the tiny ship. He headed south for some small, barren islands, the Falerones, that he had seen before, and, quote, passed near the said barren islands on the land side about a league or more from shore, End quote. Footnote. In his report of April 24th, 1596, Rodriguez puts it this way, I passed near the said barren islands and near the land about a league away, more or less. Yet he saw nothing of San Francisco Bay. On the 10th, he passed Monterey Bay, which he called the Bay of San Pedro. In the afternoon of the 12th, the son Buenaventura came upon a village along the Santa Barbara Channel. The men called to the natives on shore that they were Cristianos, Christians, whereby one native caught up the cry, shouting in a loud voice, Cristianos, Cristianos, and straightway came out to them on a raft. Rodriguez gave him a woolen blanket and some taffeta. Soon, a number of other Indians came. The Spaniards made signs that they were hungry, wherefore the Indians returned to shore and brought back some bitter acorns and a kind of acorn mush. This they offered in exchange for some of the goods in the San Buenaventura store. Indeed, said Rodriguez, quote, This people seems to be somewhat avaricious, for after we had given them pieces of taffeta and satin and woolen blankets, they asked for more. Thus, early were the Santa Barbara Indians displaying those qualities which in later years caused the Spaniards to call them the Chinamen of California because of their fondness for driving a good bargain. In course of the conversation with them, such as it was, for neither party understood the language of the other, some of the Indians said, Mexico, Mexico. It would be interesting to know 
whether their knowledge of that land had come down to them from the rodriguez cabrillo ferrello voyage of more than fifty years before or from some overland communication or indeed from some other crew of seamen whose visit to california is as yet unknown meanwhile rodriguez had been making careful surveys of the coast in accordance with his instructions the sailors and passengers were now sick and weak from lack of food for they had been subsisting on acorns only so on the thirteenth they joined in asking rodriguez to desist from making further discoveries and to sail with all possible speed for a land where they might procure food but rodriguez put them off with fair words and continued to run the coast in search of information if the account is true he must indeed have been a brave man of commanding personality to hold out against starving men in an age of violence at any rate he proceeded in ensuing days to make his observations as before to satisfy their hunger the spaniards killed a dog they had with him cooked him and ate him even to the very skin this was on the thirteenth on the fourteenth they passed near catalina island where two indians came aboard and gave them ten or twelve fish and a seal rodriguez made them a present of some silk and woolen blankets intimating to them as best he could that they should bring more food in exchange for these goods the indians went away and returned again but brought nothing to eat nevertheless the spaniards were able this day to catch about thirty fish all of which they ate from there they sailed to san clemente island which they reached that night going toward the mainland again on the fifteenth they came to point loma and the san diego bay which had been named apparently on some previous voyage the bay of pescadores or fishermen they did not stop however making a two-day run down the coast on the seventeenth they came to a large island probably the one known today as san martin island in thirty degrees twenty nine minutes near the baja california coast footnote rodriguez described this island as running from northwest to southeast eight or nine leagues long by four wide and in thirty one degrees fifteen minutes at its northwestern point the island seemed to have been known to rodriguez before and is referred to by him as san augustine the spaniards now had neither food nor drink so a party was landed to see what they could find they brought back some bread which the indians of that place had cooked made out of a root resembling the sweet potato but this made the spaniards sick when they ate it driven from the southern part of the island by a strong wind they went to the northern end for shelter here they made a discovery which very probably saved their lives as rodriguez puts it quote, we went on shore and found many wild onions and prickly pear trees and likewise god willed that we should find a dead fish among the rocks with two mortal wounds and it was so large that the seventy of us sustained ourselves on it for more than a week and if it had not been so large we would have perished there of hunger there was still no water but here too the miracle occurred god was pleased to send a wind that night which caused them to leave their anchorage and run down the island more than four leagues where they entered a small but safe bay there they found a stream of good water which descended from the mountains of the island 
it was two days more before the wind died down sufficiently for them to return to the northern end there they picked up some thirty companions who had been left there to roast the big fish and guard it on december twenty second having taken on board plenty of water and the remainder of the big fish rodriguez set sail in search of cerros island the sailors and passengers with him were now so sick and weak some of them at the point of death that rodriguez acceded to their requests that he should no longer stop to make observations of the coast which from this point on was quite well known to spanish navigators anyway so he hastened on as fast as possible and on january seventh fifteen ninety six came to anchor in the port of navidad new spain here most of the men rodriguez among them disembarked in order to restore their shattered health the launch was dispatched under juan de morgana one of rodriguez's officers with a crew of ten men to acapulco where it arrived on january thirty first rodriguez made his way to mexico city at which place on april twenty fourth fifteen ninety six he penned his official report unfortunately for the reputation of this mariner there was an aftermath to the voyage to the merchants of new spain and to a certain extent to the authorities the outstanding fact was the loss of the san augustine and its cargo and proceedings were instituted to determine who was at fault the officers endeavored to inculpate one another and furthermore when rodriguez and two others were questioned by the viceroy about the discoveries along the alta california coast they did not agree in all particulars in a letter to the king dated april nineteenth fifteen ninety six the viceroy the conde de monterey who had succeeded velasco in fifteen ninety five expressed himself as follows quote, to me there seems to be convincing proof resting on clear inference that some of the principal bays where with greater reason it might be expected harbors would be found they crossed from point to point and by night while others they entered but a little way for all this a strong incentive must have existed because of the hunger and illness they say they experienced which would cause them to hasten on their voyage thus i take it as to this exploration the intention of your majesty had not been carried into effect it is the general opinion that this enterprise should not be attempted on the return voyage from the islands and with a laden ship but from this coast and by constantly following along it thus did rodriguez sermenho fail of the glory to which he was entitled and he was saved from oblivion only through the notoriety of having lost his ship yet those who have read his report will recognize that he gave a very good description of the alta california coast it is almost always possible to tell just where he was from the account he gave and this is something that cannot be said for some of the other more famous navigators his voyage did have a real importance however as indicated in the conde de monterey's letter cited above the opinion became general that it would be better to explore the californias by a voyage direct from new spain in boats of light draught instead of relying upon the galleon for this purpose this new idea was very soon to be acted upon footnote 
for the rodriguez sermeno voyage transcripts in the bancroft library from the following documents of the archivo general de indias of seville spain were used one fifteen ninety five november thirtieth to december ninth drake's bay pedro de lugo información sobre la calidad de la tierra que se vido en el puerto que se tomó copy transcript fifteen pages longhand legajo fifty eight three twelve testimony taken by the notary lugo of rodriguez and others about the land at drake's bay and for three or four leagues inland dated in mexico fifteen ninety six two fifteen ninety six january navidad pedro de lugo sworn testimony of rodriguez before the notary lugo of his discoveries in the californias from the first day that he sighted the coast until his arrival at cerros island original transcript sixteen pages typed legajo fifty eight three twelve three fifteen ninety six april twenty fourth mexico sebastian rodriguez Cerameno. Derrotero y relación del descubrimiento que hizo el capitán y piloto mayor Sebastián Ruiz Cermeno, por orden de su majestad, hasta la isla de Cedros. Original, transcript, 21 pages longhand, Lagajo 58.3.16. These three documents tell much the same story, but they are not identical. Taken with other materials in the Bancroft Library, they should one day be the basis for a substantial thesis. Except for a brief and somewhat mistaken note in Richmond, they have never been utilized before. In addition, the documents and documentos cited in items 1 and 2 in the bibliographical note to the next chapter were used. End of footnote. End of chapter 10.